Well, good morning and welcome to church today. Whether you're here in the building with us or joining us online, our prayer is that you will encounter God, engage with him and be equipped to serve him. Today we're considering the question, why did Jesus come? And we'll be looking at several verses in the Bible to help focus our thoughts before Marion comes and speaks to us later on. And so as we begin our service, let's focus on our God. And as Toza says, let us turn from ourselves, blessed riddance. I just love that phrase, blessed riddance, and focus on our God. We're here to worship the King of all days, who came to the earth he created and for love's sake became poor. Let's sing together. Would you like to stand?
Let's pray. You asked for my hands that you might use them for your purpose. I gave them for a moment, then withdrew them for the work was hard. You asked for my mouth to speak out against injustice. I gave you a whisper that I might not be accused. You asked for my eyes to see the pain of poverty. I closed them, for I didn't want to see. You asked for my life that you might work through me. I gave a small part that I might not get too involved. Lord, forgive my calculated efforts to serve you only when it's convenient for me to do so. Only in those places where it's safe to do so. And only with those who make it easy to do so. Please join with me in this response on the screen. Father, forgive me. Renew me. Send me out as a usable instrument that I might take seriously the meaning of your cross. Amen. So as we consider the question of why Jesus came, we're going to be looking at three short passages from the Bible. And the first one comes from Luke chapter 4, and Errol's going to come and read to us. As Deborah said, it's the first reading is from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 19. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unfolding it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Thank you, Ola. So there were years of preparation before this announcement, even before Isaiah had said it. It was all part of God's plan for his world. Why did Jesus come? To fulfill this plan. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and sent by God the Father to do his work. What a powerful statement. 
especially as it came just after Jesus had spent 40 days in the desert withstanding the temptation of Jesus of Satan. So why did Jesus come? To preach good news to the poor, the good news of salvation, the act of saving or protecting from harm, risk, loss and destruction to the poor, to the marginalized to those feeling on the edge of things, ignored or despised or actively excluded from society. Think of those you know or know about who might be experiencing this. It may be that you yourself feel like this. For some, financial circumstances will be the cause of much anxiety and stress. And this might be an unfamiliar place brought about by the economic consequences of the pandemic, or it might be an achingly familiar situation. Some will be feeling poor spiritually. We may have missed the richness of meeting together as God's people in his house week by week. Or we may just feel a long way from a connection with God. Let's just pause a moment and think of those in those situations. So why did Jesus come? To proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed. Jesus wasn't just qualified, but commissioned to preach the good news of God's salvation to the poor, to bring the good news not just to their ears, but to their hearts, whoever they were. And this is good news for us, too. How are you feeling today? Despite the last six weeks of so-called freedom, do you still feel a prisoner? Trapped? Restricted? Scared? Jesus came to bring freedom. Freedom from whatever enslaves you. Fear? An unhealthy habit? Guilt? Jesus brings freedom, salvation. Let's stay seated as we sing. Have you lost your way? Lost sight of the kingdom of God? 
Jesus came to restore your sight, to open your eyes, that you might see him for who he is. overwhelmed by life and all it brings thoughts crowding your mind so it's difficult to make sense of anything Jesus came to bring release to bring comfort and peace and rest to all who are troubled or burdened or weary in prayer. Our Father God, we bring before you all that enslaves and overwhelms us, and we lay our burdens at the foot of your cross. We rejoice in the good news of salvation and ask that those that we have thought of and those we have forgotten will know your peace, your comfort, and your love surrounding them. Amen. But the passage that Errol read didn't end there. There was also mention of the year of the Lord's favour, the year of Jubilee. And historically, this was a year when servants were set at liberty, when debts were cancelled and property returned to its rightful owner. It was a year of rest, dedicated to God, acknowledging that God would provide for the needs of his people a time of reconciliation and a new start. So why did Jesus come? To provide the way for man and God to be reconciled. Jesus didn't just come to preach deliverance or even bring deliverance. He came to be that deliverance. And that's got to be worth singing about. So let's stand and sing Amazing Grace.
come now to our prayers of intercession. As usual, it's the problem is what to leave out. There's plenty to put in. Our loving Heavenly Father, we bring before you this morning our prayers for our troubled world. Please give us greater clarity and understanding of our need for salvation and of the reason that Jesus came to this earth to become part of human history. Please help us to pray more regularly and fervently for the marginalized and oppressed and for the millions of Christians in overseas lands who endure daily fear and suffering for being followers of Christ. Dear God, our hearts go out to the people of Afghanistan and we pray for them especially at a time when the world is watching an unfolding tragedy. Many of the people in Afghanistan will have a real sense of desertion and betrayal by the Western nations. Many will be fearing for their lives as a tyrannical and ruthless regime takes over from an elected government that is now powerless to act. We pray especially for Afghan Christians, most of whom are converts from Islam, who will now be fearing for their lives. Both they and women and children are especially at risk from the policies of the new regime. And to add to their distress and concern, the country is in the grip of severe food shortages and is threatened by terror attacks from an extreme wing of a fanatical ISIS splinter group. O oh Lord, please may your Holy Spirit influence the events in that distant land. From a human perspective, the position seems desperate and hopeless. But we pray that you will intervene in the affairs of Afghanistan to bring hope and relief where there is currently despair and resignation. We pray too, dear Lord, for those on the margins of society in our own land, many through no fault of their own, but simply from circumstances often beyond their control. Please help them to cope, Lord, and to find your grace and salvation despite the difficult lives they are having to lead. We pray again that your Holy Spirit will open their eyes and will help them to see encouragement and hope for the future. We pray finally, dear Lord, for those members of our own fellowship who are struggling with the problems of advancing years, ill health, or simply with fears for a future that may seem very worrying and uncertain. Lord Jesus Christ, you came to this earth to heal 
and to give us hope. Please help us to place our trust in you as our Lord and Savior, always remembering that you have promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Amen. So our next reading takes things a little bit further beyond that repair of the broken relationship and Errol's going to come and lead us. This reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 7 to 10. Jesus therefore said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus talks about himself as a shepherd and compares his care with that of unfaithful and illegitimate leaders who steal and kill and destroy. Jesus brings life, but not just life, but life, a full life of abundance and surplus, a contented life in which contentment is based on the fact that God is equal to every emergency and able to provide for all our needs. A celebratory life, which we should live giving honour to the shepherd. So let's sing again. I give you all the honour. Let's stand.
So this life, in all its fullness, brings with it responsibility. And our final reading makes that very clear. The third reading is from John's Gospel again, chapter 14, just one verse. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Amen. So Jesus gives assurance to his disciples and encourages them to trust in, rely on and cling to him in faith because of who he is, the words he spoke and the miracles he performed. And he expected that those who believe in him will continue to do his work in the world. And because Jesus is with the Father, he sends his Holy Spirit to be with us. The disciples, and that includes us, are Jesus in the world. So let's ask again for that empowering as we sing our next song, Build Your Kingdom Here.
Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see everybody here. Well, I, d I don't know about you, but I rather like a good oxymoron. Um, for example, open secret, deafening silence, uh, only choice, awfully good, and pretty ugly, to name but a few. You probably had some coming up in your mind as I said it. Uh, contained within one idea is a contradiction. They can seem absurd and yet make perfect sense at the same time. Can one thing be two simultaneously? For example, can one thing be both hard and easy? Uh, can one thing be both complex and simple? I think in the case of the answer to the question, why did Jesus come? I believe that, yes, the answer can be both complex and simple. During this service, Deborah has so very helpfully taken us through the uh, different points, just a few of them that are mentioned in the New Testament, that give us an insight into the answer to this question, why did Jesus come? And the first of those was found in Luke, wasn't it? Where when Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth, and, and he caused all sorts of controversy by claiming to be the fulfillment of the, uh, of the Isaiah prophecy that he had just read out. The spirit of the Lord, he said, is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. By claiming to be the fulfillment of these words said over 500 years or so earlier, Jesus is setting out his stall as to why he has come, why he is there. And to be honest, today's sermon could be just on this passage because it is so rich with ideas. And uh, just in these two verses. And we have other verses to look at. So uh, these give us even more colours of refracted light to uh, this question. So I could only give it a little bit of a peppering, I'm afraid. Um, Keener, um, a particular writer, he writes that the Isaiah passage that Jesus quotes is one that speaks of restoration and the deliverance of God's people. Israel was to be taken captive by the Babylonians, enslaved and impoverished, but God promised he would liberate and bless his people. He would demonstrate his reign and his kingdom through them. These words ought, are thought to have been written, as I say, although there is some debate, about 538-ish years ago, when the people of Israel were in exile. So they knew in real terms what it was to have a loss of liberty what it felt like to not be able to direct your own path and feel overwhelmed by the burdens of life. They knew what it was to yearn for a day when they would be free, a messianic period of blessing where all are embraced and cared for and no one overlooked. It is to this that Jesus is claiming to, for it being the means by which this might all come about. He's come to facilitate this restoration and demonstrate his kingdom of compassion. He is the means by which people can be free, not just of a literal enslavement as the people of Israel were experiencing, but a figurative one also. People can be enslaved by all sorts of things, materialism, 
relationships, anxiety. The list, it can just go on. And Jesus wants to free us from those things that would hold us, minimize, and make small our perspective and experience of life. He has come to be good news and bring good news to the poor, both in terms of the physically impoverished and to the actual blind, but also, of course, the spiritually poor and those blind to who God wants to be in their lives also. He will restore those that are oppressed. Now, the meaning here is not simply um, about those who are subject to harsh treatment, but also, even though that is true, but also those who are bruised or broken in spirit. And as Deborah said earlier, Jesus is saying, I can heal you. I will heal you. Jesus came to make all the difference in the world to the lives of all in the world. But he doesn't do this on his own, but by the Spirit of the Lord. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus hasn't come to say, look at me, look at what I can do. He's come to show us the Father. Everything that Jesus does is so that you and I might know God. For example, his, his birth and all the wondrous events that surrounded it, it points us to a God who has not forgotten his people, but at the right time came himself via an ordinary couple so that we might more easily see what God is like. A king who humbles himself for the sake of his people. So already, just from these two verses, there seems to be a layering of answers. There seems to be multiple ways to go on this. A complexity as to why Jesus came to restore, to liberate, to heal, to reveal the Father. So let's just add a, a, a bit more complexity, shall we? And uh, let's hear from Jesus' own mouth as to why he had come. He said in John 10, verse 10, he has come so that you may have life, and have it to the full. Wow. Fantastic. Well, the context of those verses is that in the previous chapter, Jesus has healed a man of his blindness. And uh, a man who was uh, in the community was well known to have been born blind. And yet, somehow, Jesus had restored his sight. He himself, when asked how his eyes were opened, replied, The man they call Jesus made some mud and he put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and, and then I could see. This event afforded Jesus the opportunity to highlight the spiritual blindness of the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day. He refused to accept what they see, even though it's right in front of them. Even after the man's own witness account was given, their immediate response was to say, well, Jesus is not from God because he healed on the Sabbath and that makes him a sinner. Wow, what a response. They just couldn't get past their own perspective that God could work in a bigger way than they could possibly imagine. This incident is followed by Jesus then quite naturally going on to talk about this parable of the sheepfold where he is describing himself as the gate and the good shepherd. So he has this sheep pen, and, and through it, the, sheep, the shepherd will enter. He would call them by name and lead them. 
Jesus also refers to thieves and robbers who might hop over the wall. They're bogus shepherds, and they had come to take the sheep and mislead them. These are the religious of the day that couldn't get past and would mislead the people. They claim to care for the sheep, but that's not truly so. Jesus said that he is the good shepherd who knows his sheep, protects them, carries them at times when they need that, and calls them, and ultimately is willing to lay down his life for them. So when we read in verse 10, the thief comes only to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full, it's closely linked with the next verse when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In other words, the shepherd lays down his life so that the sheep may have life in all its fullness. His death enables the abundant life. One is not found without the other. So why did Jesus come? These verses say it's to give his own life so that we might have ours in a way that we could never have achieved on our own. This idea of Jesus coming to lay down his life links with all sorts of deep theological concepts, particularly of atonement. Now, if I ask my A-level students, why did Jesus come? If they wanted to be awarded a decent mark, they would need to be able to tell me about three different theories of atonement. And uh, I have to admit, before I started teaching that particular syllabus, I had no idea. I've been a Christian since I was 13, baptised when I was 15, a church member since 16, which is clearly some considerable time ago now. And yet, all this time, I had no idea that atonement had all these you know, different ways of looking at it. I think, uh, I think I just merged and sort of smudged them all in together. And quite frankly, I still do, really. But for those vaguely interested, one, the death of Jesus as Christus Victor, an idea, the idea of uh, the victor, the liberator, the one who liberates and frees humanity from hostile powers. Secondly, the death of Jesus as a substitution, the idea of Jesus dying in our place for humanity. And that actually only Jesus could be the, was the only one who could be the substitute in our place because of his divine human nature. And then the third idea is the death of Jesus as a moral example. The idea that he's showing us how to live and die. Now, I told you, this, this, uh, this was a question that can solicit a really complex answer. <laughs> I, and I don't propose to spend time unpacking those different theories, you'll be glad to know, any further. This isn't uh, an A-level lesson. But uh, if you want to, I'm happy to chat about them afterwards. That's absolutely fine. But the point is that Jesus came to die so that you and I might have a richness of life that would otherwise be impossible. Our final verse was also from John's Gospel. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Gosh, well, that's a quick way to make you feel inadequate. Well, it does me. How does, you know, how, how can I possibly do greater than Jesus Christ? Uh, and, and how does that link with why Jesus came? 
what, what is going on here? And, and again, this could be a sermon in it, you know, just this verse could be a sermon in itself. So what we've got here, it's saying that those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus will carry on his work. We too, as we were singing, can be a part of building his kingdom by being a part of the restoration work in people's lives. We too are anointed by the Spirit to preach good news to the poor. We too, by that Spirit, can enable others to see and no longer live in darkness. There is here a great but oh so <laughs> exciting responsibility, but it, it isn't just for the minister or deacons or others in leadership within this fellowship. It's for all of us. Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will do the works I do. We all have to step up. This is what normal Christianity looks like. This is what being a Christian is. But Jesus said that we would do what he did. Does that mean we should be turning water into wine, performing healing miracles or walking on water? Do we have to do all of these or would it be okay just to do maybe one or two in our lives at some point? Or if I don't do these, am I not a Christian? Don't fret. By do what I have been doing isn't exclusively or specifically the miraculous. That is a gift that is one amongst other, you know, variety of gifts. These works of Jesus, that in his case were the miraculous, these were, for Jesus, they were pointers to help people have faith in him. This is what all believers, that's what their work is to do. This is what our lives should be about, showing others Jesus. So why did Jesus come? So that the Father might be made known, so people might know God. Another writer, John Piper, points out that all believers will be marked by this. They will be so united to Jesus that they will carry on his work by his power and do the kind of things that bear witness about Jesus. They will point to Jesus and through Jesus to the Father. He goes on to say that a life of love draws attention to the glory of Jesus' Father. In Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus said that we should let our life shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Christians are defined by works or, or a life which flow from faith in Jesus and point to his glory. Now to the part which I think is particularly confusing. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. Uh, he will do even greater things than these. How can I be more miraculous than Jesus? That just, just doesn't make sense. How can I do even greater things? No one other than Christ has done all these things. But remember, Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? The answer is no. So what did Jesus mean? There are a number of suggestions, and scholars go in, in a variety of ways, but one I think is quite interesting is he points to, you need to point to that end, the, the phrase at the end, where Jesus says, because I am going to my Father. All that Jesus did prior to his death and resurrection was in anticipation of that, those events. Never before in history 
sorry, I apologize. Um, what the disciples and all believers thereafter would be doing was new. Never before in history had anyone been forgiven by faith in the already crucified, already risen, already reigning, indwelling Christ. Up to that point, it was all about the promise and looking forward to the fulfillment of that Isaiah prophecy when the people would be liberated and restored. When Jesus forgave, it was in anticipation of the saving work of his laying down of his life. But now, all those who receive the Holy Spirit receive the spirit of the crucified and risen Christ. And in that new power, we can be used by God to point people to him, to finish God's, uh, Jesus' work. So look, we have this question, why did Jesus come? These are simple words, and I understand all of them. It's, simply put, it's a simply put question. But the answer is so multi-layered. If, if we were to convert what we've been saying into a Jesus things to do list, a version of why Jesus came, it would be something along the lines of to preach good news, bring freedom, restoration and healing, to enable lives to be lived to their fullest, to lay down his life for everyone and to enable those who follow him to carry on to completion his work of kingdom building. That's an extraordinary list of things to do. Alternatively, we could go down the route of deep theological discussion on atonement and consider the implications of a suffering God and by doing so gain great insight into why Jesus came. And all that would be right and worthy, but at the end of the day, it's effectively head knowledge. And some of my students will attest, effectively academic only and needn't impact upon you personally. By answering it, in this way, it can be tremendously bewilderingly deep and complex, and though rewarding, can ultimately actually miss the point. The real point as to why Jesus came is to make a personal difference to you, to make a, a real difference to me. It might sound cliche, but that doesn't make it any less true. He came because God knows you and loves you, and wants you to know and love him too. And I'd be even happier to chat with you afterwards about that. Amen. Let's close now with our final hymn, this idea of being people that are kingdom builders, fulfilling God's purposes, fulfilling Christ's mission. Go forth and tell. O Church of God, awake, let's stand to sing.
So let's close by blessing one another with the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.